piece on the wide. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the show. This episode is with Daniel Harmon of Harmon Brothers. Yes, this is the guy that made the famous poopery ads, the famous squatty potty ads, but we're not going to talk about how he's done that and how those have gone big. We're going to talk about how he's grown and scaled Harmon Brothers, his company, how it all worked, all those sort of things. All right, Daniel, you ready to rock and roll? Yeah. All right, let's do this. So, Dan, I'll just quickly here explain uh, who you are, what you do, and then we can go from there. So. Okay. I'm Daniel Harmon. I'm Chief Creative Officer at Harmon Brothers. Harmon Brothers is an ad agency. We are known for taking traditional branded advertising and mixing it with direct response advertising or something that gets people to act or buy right then and there. Yeah. And um, I oversee creative at Harmon Brothers. So anything you see me do, anything you see that comes out of Harmon Brothers is good, I did it. And if it's bad, I mean, I didn't touch it. It doesn't work that way exactly. No, I, but yeah, I, I, I kind of um, guide the creative here. Yeah, yeah, sweet. So just kind of curious, what, what got you into this space? Was it always, was this division from day one when you were in Idaho, like selling potatoes and doing a bunch of this stuff with your brothers? Was that the vision? Was this the vision back then, or, or what did you see yourself doing as a kid? I think I've always instinctively been a storyteller, and I think the way that that played itself out in my mind as a kid, when I would be out working on the farm or doing some sort of some sort of repetitive physical labor of some kind and I needed to do something with my mind I think uh, I mean a lot of my mind went to things like um, a lot of my mind went to things like Star Wars and yeah oh I don't know India Indiana Jones or uh, different Disney movies and things like that so storytelling and I kind of played out my own stories with me as characters within yeah. those stories or as <laughs> Or even as um, side characters within those stories, <laughs> and so no, advertising hasn't always been the thing. But w what's weird is when I so growing up in Idaho, I don't know how much detail you want. Dude, as much as you need, <laughs> as much as you need to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, no, we had we had the broadcast channels. It was like four or five broadcast channels that we could get over the air for TV, and so one of those was um, ABC, which is where I think uh, Monday Night Football was on. And when Monday Night Football would come on, whenever it went to a commercial break, my mom would try to get us all to run around and clean the house <laughs> or do something productive. <laughs> and I was I was always um, upset about that because I loved the commercials. I thought that was yeah, you yeah. know almost as fun as the um, the as game. yeah the actual game. That was just something I was always into ads. Um, would memorize them and do that kind of thing. But I didn't even know that you could have an advertising career. Until I was way into college, because so I was actually looking to potentially study film or animation, and then um, that wasn't working out for me. And my mom one day on the phone was like, "There's, there's an advertising program at BYU. I'm like an advertising program? <laughs> like you can, like you can make ads for a living? She's like, yeah, you can. And I was like, that sounds like it might be perfect. And so I went and applied to BYU has a creative track of advertising so you have to submit a portfolio put together some spec ads you know yeah. some different just stuff to show kind of what how your thinking is what kind of ideas you can come up with and so I got in and when you did that did you have a portfolio already I didn't of stuff what no I went in and talked to the professor it was Doug McKinley who was running the program at the time and he's actually the one that started the program he'd run an ad agency of his own and he basically told me here's the process you need to come up with this many ads submit it in a portfolio, show us that you can think of really creative, fun stuff. And I went through that process and I got in. They, they, they accept, I think, 20 to 25 people a year. And I think in the year that I applied, I think there was probably about twice that many that applied. And I think it's wow. even more than that now because BYU's advertising program is very well known now. And um, I think they have like 100 people submit or something along those lines. But 
Anyway, I'm not sure. I, I, haven't, I haven't kept in touch there as much as maybe I should have. But, yeah. yeah, that's how it started out for me. Dang. So, so Daniel, on the show, I also just like to start off with a random question. Yeah. To, to get things kicked off light and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like you already answered the random question that I had. So, in my, in my just curious mind, what was the funnest ad for you to make that you've done so far? Within Ooh, Harman what Brothers, was the funnest ad? Whatever, just throughout your whole career, doesn't have to be with, with Harmon Brothers, just whatever ad you think has been the funnest for you personally. The, the funnest ad for me to make really boiled down to really one fun day, which was um, when we shot the Fiber Fix ad. Oh, yeah. Because we're <laughs> hucking cars off of cliffs, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, And so it was, it was like a, it, it felt like a Hollywood movie set and that we've got this big giant crane operator out there with the camera on the end of it getting this really dynamic shot as the car flies over the edge of the cliff and and we've got um, special effects guys that are they've got this whole setup of sending this car off the ramp and it flipping (laughs) and all that stuff and that was like we're dealing with heavy machinery and really like kind of high stakes kind of stuff where we knew we only had um, gosh, we only had, I think it was four cars to flip off. <laughs> the, the, well, was it? Yeah, I think it was like four car, cars to be wow. able to flip off of the cliff um, or four takes at it or something like that. And so, um, yes, that was like the funnest day. <laughs> uh, that was the funnest day of work of, of my life in, in many ways because... It was just awesome because we were, the sun was setting at just the right moment and giving us the, the perfect lighting. And we got this beautiful shot of the car flying off. And it was months and months of preparation going into that that paid off in that moment where we had cameras coming from all angles. And um, we'd prep these cars with these roll cages and the fiber fix attached to the joints. And to be quite honest, the fiber fix guys were very confident that it was going to hold up. <laughs> and I was somewhat skeptical of like, oh man, is this thing going <laughs> to yeah. hold up really to this level of torture? And it totally did. It totally worked. Wow. Like it didn't compromise the t- fiber fix tape in fiber fix wrap in, in the least. And um, it just felt like, felt like we were movie making. Yeah. We yeah. Were t- felt, felt like <laughs> we were um, on that kind of a level. And um, it was also a really hot day and we were all really tired and like drinking tons yeah. of water and, and doing all that, but we got all the shots that we needed to, and uh, mm-hmm. the video ended up going viral and everything. So it was just, it ended up being a really Jeez. awesome day. Yeah. Dang. I mean, that sounds crazy, so. That was the, that was the funnest. There's tons <laughs> of other fun ones. Obviously, Squatty Potty uh, yeah. was a ton of fun. Um, Purple was lots of fun. Um, chat books was fun. Um, um, I gosh, every movie set, or every, sorry, every ad that, uh, We've we filmed on has been fun and to be quite yeah. honest, a lot of the sets I'm not even on at this point because I've got other creative directors and directors that are taking care of that, Same, yeah. and I'm more mentoring and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Uh, being on sets a lot of fun. That's crazy. That that I just think that did you always? I know you wanted to do like a Disney movie. Yeah. So that was probably like thinking of it now. It's like wow, that's that really feels like you're gonna be in that spot or you're already there just because that's what they do anyway so yeah kind of kind of already there but not <laughs> in the way that you originally thought yeah you know? it's weird it's, weird uh-huh. it's like I, I thought i'd be doing this like for a movie but instead i'm doing it for a brand yeah and that's totally okay you know there's more there's more than one road that leads to rome yeah it's true so dan to move on here uh from the research that i've done and the podcast that you've been on i noticed that it was a lot about the creative side, branding side, the marketing side, diving deep into like your processes of how you became successful with ads and working with brands to make them successful, not just with branding, but sales first, like you've mentioned in videos where, you know, it's really not about the creative. If it's a cool video, doesn't drive sales, we just can't do that. And I know that that has been successful for you guys based on what you've done. And so knowing that, I want to talk more about just the business side of Harmon Brothers, knowing that that stuff has kind of been taken care of with other podcasts. Like, I want to dive deep into how the business functioned and ran. And I, I, I learned a little bit about this, the business with some podcasts, but I didn't dive deep into really how the whole thing scaled and grew from the beginning. So to kind of start in the very beginning, 
of Harmon Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Poopery was the very first client that you guys had. Yeah. When at Aura Brush. Yep. Aura Brush was uh, the company that you and your brother started up. Uh huh. So to go way back in the beginning, just do like a couple sentences. Talk a little bit about the the movement from Aura Brush to Harmon Brothers and how that all worked. If you can dive deep into that month, year of how that all worked for us, then we can kind of begin to understand how you scaled Harm Brothers. So if you just want to start with how all that works, how Poopery got in contact with you guys, and then we can just kind of go from there. From sure. That's a lot to unpack, Josh. That was, that was a lot. <laughs> okay, no, it's okay. I'll do my best. Um, we, were at, we were at Aura Brush. Jeffrey was approached on LinkedIn by Susie, who was the CEO of Poopery. Um, she was convinced from the work that had been done at Aura Brush that like Jeffrey, that's you and your team, that's, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want for my brand. And she sent him product. Jeffrey loved the product and decided, yeah, let's, let's go and do this. We felt like the Aura Brush was going in a different direction than, than, yeah. um, where we wanted to at the time. And so we, um, we resigned, Neil and Jeffrey, we, we actually resigned thinking that we were going to be Poopery's marketing department. Yeah. Kind of like we were with Aura Brush. Um, and um, I, I resigned shortly after after they did to join and help out on the campaign and to write on it and to yeah. um, help pro provide creative direction and everything else. And ultimately, um, as far as like business principles to take away from this we didn't start Harmon Brothers on purpose as a scalable business in mind and yeah. sometimes things just happen that way sometimes you start with um, a certain objective in mind which was we we just really wanted to make poopery successful yeah and then out of that can come things that are maybe bigger you know yeah and that, that's essentially what happened is when um, when we needed a place to put the money to execute on the campaign for Poopery, and this is kind of like our dating period, our trial per period, um, we needed a, a business entity to do it in. And so it's literally a, like a midnight kind of decision between Jeffrey and Neil, like what are we gonna call this thing? Let's just call it Harmon Brothers, and then we'll change it later if we need to, right? Yeah. And so there was no thought at that point that like we're forming a world-class agency. Like none, <laughs> zero. and. Um, but then when we go out the door with the Poopery campaign and start testing it, and then it all of a sudden gets picked up by the Huffington Post, and yeah. then it gets picked up by, I think, Ad Age, and, um, and um, I, gosh, what was it, Ad Week, and it just, get, it just starts going all over the place and blowing up virally on top of driving tons of sales, just selling out their inventory, they yeah. can't even keep up, right? Um, they... Uh, then we start getting cited in the press as creative agency Harvard Brothers, and we're sitting there looking across the kitchen table at my brother's house like, what? <laughs> and saying to ourselves, we're an agency? Yeah. I, I guess we're an agency. We, we did a campaign for a client, for a brand. I suppose that makes us an agency. Yeah, you know, kind of, because ultimately the thought was we were going to be part of Poopery. Um, as, as time went on, it, 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 it was clear that that wasn't going to make sense business-wise for us. Yeah. Um, but that's where, that's where it started. And, um, Jeffrey had brought Benton, who's now our CEO. Um, he brought Benton in to help, um, do ad buying and strategy with it. Um, and I think Benton might've had a little bit bigger vision for what Harmon Brothers could be, but we were just literally like, we were just trying to make that project work. And then from that, again, more people started contacting us and yeah. being like, hey, can you do this for us? And um, it took us a while to honestly nail down a model. Yeah. It took us until um, we fumbled around with different projects, projects that you would never really know existed, um, uh, different video campaigns and different models and things like that of how, how, to, um, how to do contracts with our clients, how to do it in a way that was mutually beneficial. And it wasn't until Squatting Potty happened that we kind of nailed down a little bit more of our model. That was like yeah. two years later, because ultimately, was it wasn't quite two years. 
good year and a half at least <laughs> because um, Bobby, who was the CEO of Squatty Potty, saw the Poo campaign and was mad because he was like, that should have been my brand. Yeah, that's what I and, then he, and then he contacted <laughs> us and was like, hey, what, you know, what can you do? Yeah. What can you do? He reached out to Jeffrey. And then we originally kind of said, um, Jeffrey came up with this analogy for poop, dealing with something disgusting like the colon <laughs> yeah. and a Squatty Potty and like better pooping posture, came up for an analogy for poop of ice cream the unicorn and and then we kind of <laughs> tossed the idea around back and forth until like well if something's going to poop ice cream what's it going to be and then we kind of landed on okay it's got to be a unicorn <laughs> yeah. anyway um so that whole process but then but they didn't really pick up on that right he he kind of rejected that idea he didn't reject that idea i think he could kind of see and was like oh, that's kind of interesting but then he had parents that were also part of the business that were like and he had an investor that was part of the business that was like no that's not going to work out and then um and then when finally they came back to us, they went and tried some other marketing efforts that didn't work very well. Hmm. All, they had all that success with Shark Tank and then were trying to build upon that and they went and hired another marketing agency or production company or something along those lines. It just didn't work. And they came back to us three months later and said, okay, we made a mistake. Let's just go for it. We're just going to trust you guys to do it. Let's do this pooping unicorn thing, however you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And they trusted us. And, and anyway, but then obviously the campaign blew up. But then we knew we had something there really scalable. really really going that was scalable but no yeah. we didn't we didn't start I think very few of us it, it, I mean Benton might have been the only one that had that in mind of that vision of where this thing could go like as an agency and as a business so one, one of the things I would say to people that are like okay well what do I apply from that I'd say that sometimes if you just set out to solve a particular problem either for someone else that you're doing a service for or for a particular just type of customer you know sometimes you're even solving a problem for yourself and it happens to be something that solves it for a lot of other people that if you do that and you find success in one thing then you never know what that can grow into and scale into yeah. um, but if you start with laser focused on that first objective and you can have success with that then that paves the way for other things as opposed to starting out like we're going to start out, we're going to make an agency. Like some people do that. Yeah. I'm sure they do, some do that very well. Um, but I think most of the time when they do that, it's because they've had success somewhere else. And then they say, oh, we could do our own agency with this kind yeah. of a thing. Does that um, make sense? Yeah, it does. It's not like you're so niche. It's just like, this is like what I'm going to go for and whatever it turns into, whether or not it catches or not, it can turn into like Harmon Brothers. It, where it, you yeah. No, it's just like such a crazy angle you never saw. But because you're in that position, that's that's the opportunity that presented itself. Right. Yeah, we were stuck with our name before we even knew what to do. Right? <laughs> I heard about that. I was yeah. like, well, here we go. It's not a very creative name, but it, but it works, I guess. Yeah, it does. So, Daniel, uh, kind of going back in that story, with that first ad for Poopery, you guys obviously, from my understanding, the ad for Orbrush was like some college buddies, right? That you put yeah. on that website, right? Yeah. And then Poopery came to you guys and said, hey, you guys do this really well. Yep. So what went into that first video? How did that turn out so well without like huge resources with, like you with have? With Poopery? Now? Yeah, that video. So based on the video experience that I have and thinking of that experience turning into an agency that, you know, is Harmon Brothers, the very first thing that I think about is how do you do that in the beginning with finding like the areas to go record at, finding the people to be in the video, all sorts of these things that you don't really have in the beginning like Harmon Brothers would have now. So what kind of what kind of creative stuff, I guess, are you thinking of to accomplish having the people, having the right cameras, having the right areas at the right time like this stuff can get complicated and so i feel like asking this question to daniel can be really beneficial for those that you know don't understand how this is even possible in the beginning well reapplying the learnings from aura brush so we used a lot of the same college buddies so joel ackerman was the lead writer on it he'd written um, a whole bunch for us on aura brush um, i wrote on it as well and jeffrey wrote on it uh, my, my brother Jeffrey, that's a, um, a founder of Orbrushes, I mean, sorry, of, of Harmon Brothers as well. 
and then um, we just built up different resources here within the creative and film community that we could draw on um, when we went to go and make it for Poopery. Those had already been established when we were at Orbrush because you just that, yeah. that's just the nature of of making ads, especially when you're going into video, is that you end up scaling up really fast to do a big production in a day, and then you scale down yeah. just just as quickly because you're just contracting people, right? Just yeah. pulling them in for whatever the need of the project is. It's not that's people true. you're hiring full time. So we'd already we had already learned to do that with Orbrush, and then we were able to go and reapply. When um, when we went to do it uh, yeah. with Poopery, huh. so kind of along those lines too, going to the creative side of videos. Mm -hmm. um, from from a question that I wrote down here, I want to I want to ask, what is the one thing that nobody knows when it comes to the process of creating, filming, and posting a successful video? Like, what is the one thing that nobody would know that in your position you would tell them that makes a successful Ad for a brand is that the people is it the camera is it the mind behind it like There's what is that one thing that you know people are worried about every single aspect so what should they worry about most if they're gonna be doing something like this making a video for themselves whatever it might be what is that one thing that you say is the most important spoke of the process the other thing that I was really wondering based on Daniel's experience and what he's done with the ads that he's produced is what is that one thing that's that one sentence that one aspect of a video when you're creating it from start to finish that makes it enjoyable for millions of people to watch it, like that seems to me like there can be so much to think about so I wanted to shoot that out so that when we do worry when someone does worry this is the right thing to worry about, you know, because in my mind, you know, it can be a billion different things that goes into making a perfect video, but is it one over the other? Like, who knows? So asking Daniel this, I feel like is really good for us to know. And uh, I would say starting with your gut and then testing or validating with data. So what I mean by that is... Yeah, with data. So when we make a video, we start with the distribution in mind. Content is king, but the distribution is queen. She wears the pants. She wears the pants. <laughs> That's right. So if you start with the distribution in mind, like now that means you need to start with mobile in mind. Yeah. 50, what is, what's the percentage? Well, most of our clients are hovering around the, the 70 to 80% mark of the number of people that are viewing on, that are viewing on mobile. Okay. So it's by far wow. the majority <laughs> of people that are watching our stuff on mobile. If you just think of your own viewing habits, that probably matches up yeah, um, it was with mine as well, right? And then, and then what I mean by testing is that you say to yourself, okay, this is what I think is the best thing to start out on the video to really grab people's attention. But if you test three to five different versions of the video at the beginning of what can pull people in, then you have data to validate or to disprove your gut, which yeah. probably happens just as much as validating, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so ultimately, we get to really good content because we're able to test things like thumbnails and things yeah. like titles and the intro, the first few seconds of the video, um, all that kind of stuff we can test into the best content because mm. we have a process for being, for being able to do that. And um, it's so much better it's so much better to start with where you think the market will respond on your, based on your gut yeah. because you say to yourself, this works, this makes sense to me, this works for me. Mm -hmm. But then you go and put it out there in front of an actual market and then find out if, it works for them. if it's actually working for them and then follow that. Mm -hmm. You'll have to follow that very closely of like watch, watch what people are, where, where people are actually reacting. What, yeah. what, that, that's a much better way to go than mm -hmm. just saying, I'm a creative director, so I know best, you know? <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine, yeah. So Daniel, what I'm, the other thing that I'm confused about with this is you make, 
you film the video and then you use all that footage to just make five separate videos. Are they different videos or do yeah. they have like the same? There's are they, are they all just similar? I'm guessing but they're similar. Constructed a different. Yeah, way. so it would it would be the first maybe it might be the first three to fifteen seconds is something. is something different um, depending on what the story needs, right? Yeah. Depending on what we're testing, and then the rest of the video is the same. And then you just watch the view-through rates. The watch time. The watch time. The how, many, how much are people viewing through? How much are they watching before they're bailing out? Yeah. And you test those against each other. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sweet. So, so Dan, to move on with, with, the, with, the, with the growth of Farm Brothers. Yeah. When you did the poopery ad, like, that was, obviously, you got money for doing that, and then your business is now a business. You didn't yeah. know. Yeah. So now, from what I know, you move on and you did the, the video for the church yep. that you came out of and weren't like the happiest because there wasn't any profit. It was just kind of a, a project for you and you used a lot of savings. Is that? Well, I wasn't unhappy with the project. I oh, was, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we knew that there wasn't going to be profit going into it. What, 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 what I was unhappy about was the fact that I felt like we were really sacrificing in order yeah. to make this video happen for God. And then ultimately I felt like that meant God was gonna come back and bless us financially. Yeah. <laughs> and, when yeah. you, and when you place conditions on God, it doesn't always work out that way, right? And so um, that was more what threw me off than anything. I, yeah. might've, I might've told the story in a way that made it seem like, oh, what a bummer project because there wasn't profit on it. No, it wasn't the case at all. I mean, it was an extremely fulfilling project but yeah. but my bet was, oh, it would turn out. if we really put our all into this, and it did turn out, um, then then for sure we're going to be able to close clients after this because we're yeah. we're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> it's true, it's true. And then we went through one of the hardest times, the hardest time ever in the history of Harmon Brothers, yeah. where I don't know, I'd say the hardest, but. It's definitely the hardest out to get because it didn't even look like Sarm Brothers was necessarily going to survive. We yeah. were living off our savings and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, before we ultimately landed the poopery, I mean the squatty potty contract. And from there, it was just kind of contract by contract, little stuff. Um, it, it wasn't um, successful. We hadn't nailed down our model. We hadn't found our groove yeah. until, we, until we did squatty potty. So when that time did happen, when you were entering like the hardest time after... Yeah. Who who was at? Where was the position of Farm Brothers at? Who was working here? What yeah? What kind of thing? Did, what does it look like? When when Squatty Potty happened? When it was after the the church's oh. video, like when it was just in the beginning of the hardest. So Farm Brothers whittled down to myself and Benton. That's it. Yeah, I think so. Wow. It was a. I think it was a two man show at that point. Um. No, Am I mistaken? No. I mean, I, I, so what happened is um, when we were working on the campaign for the church, Jeffrey was involved heavily at that point. Neil was involved as well. We had scaled up involved other people, obviously, because it was a huge production. Yeah. But then um, when we were working on that stuff, gosh, it had to have been, it, I think it was just me and Benton and sort of like one of, everyone else might have been just like a little bit of a contractor or yeah, something. That's that's all. Anyway, it was something bare bones like that wow. because Neil, Neil and Jeffrey were all focused on building BitAngel. Oh yeah, they that were building, was around that they, time. Were, they were building BitAngel at that time and they focused on that. And we knew we didn't have a paycheck there. Yeah. So we went over here, and it wasn't that much better of a paycheck. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, that's kind of what it whittled down to in order really? for us to... Um, I mean, ultimately, Jeffrey uh, was the one that ended up um, closing the Squatty Potty deal. Um, and uh, he was also very involved in Squatty Potty in, in, in the writing process. He was very involved in that project. But for a while, before the Squatty Potty deal closed, he was more focused on um, um, on Angel. He was kind of wow. doing more split time at that point. So it was, it, was, it was really kind of me, Benton, and then like half Jeffrey. <laughs> and then Neil was pretty much all focused on Angel. Wow. Yeah. So, so within that time, obviously, you had to make money, so you did these small contracts. Yeah. 
So with that team in mind that you just described, yeah. how did you find those those people to make videos for? You know, from hearing Daniel say that it was just him and Benson, the CEO of Harmon Brothers at this time in the present time, I I think I asked the questions later on in the interview, but I'm, I'm really interested in knowing how they grew the business with two people and knowing that their business is a production video did they edit that like the videos themselves when they were done did they just go home did they edit it did you know did they contract that out did they have someone that they hired to do that like with such a big production of creating video ads that work for clients i think if i don't ask them later on the interview then i should have asked at least how such a production was done with just two people down to like the smallest minute hour of what they were doing to just optimize the business and make it work. Well, they came to us just from the success of the Aura Brush, oh, the poopery campaigns. Sweet. Yeah. So they, they reached out to us. Um, it kind of always been that way. Um, still kind of always been that way. Yeah. People just coming to us from the success of our campaigns. Um, our, our name and our brand is out there pretty well right now. Yeah. Um, it's something we've worked really hard to build and ultimately, yeah, it was just inbound leads. We just didn't really know what, how to package things up the best for them and how to set them up to succeed as much at that point. Yeah. So to so kind of describe just, I know you have in a way, but describe kind of the, what you would do when a client calls you and you had to make that video for them or write a script, do whatever, like what was what was the beginning thing that you did when they called you and they wanted to pay you for a video that you would make? What is that process of, all right, here's where we need to start and then when you get them the video, like what does that look like? Just like a, like a boom, 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 set one, two, three, four. Yeah. What did it look like at this phase without all these people here? They would just come to us and say, we want a video, you know? We feel, we feel like that's the magic bullet Yeah, is to have a video. <laughs> and it was very clear after we had done a few of these things, a lot of them, what had happened is the companies were coming to us in a very early stage where they hadn't necessarily nailed down their product offering uh, or hmm. even their service or whatever it was. They hadn't nailed down a good financial model. We're, hmm. we're a pretty good... We're a pretty great scale-up company. We're not as good at in that nailing it phase of like, are there still adjustments that need to be, be made to the product or service or yeah, 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 that yeah. kind of thing. If you haven't, and, and they've come to us as like, oh, we know we've got a great product. Like we get that our customers aren't responding to it very well. Or we have very few customers, but just if we can get the Harmon Brothers involved, then it's just gonna be a magic bullet and it's everything's gonna be fine. Huh. But Poopery yeah. had a fantastic product, product before we got to them. Aura Brush, had a great product. It really worked. It just needed to, ha, it needed, yes, it needed a push. It needed fuel to be thrown on the fire. It's the same yeah. thing for Poopery. So a lot of these companies that came came to us didn't, ready. didn't have a nailed down <laughs> model to where they, they knew they could get up um, a positive ROI. They didn't have a nailed down product in some cases. Yeah. And so, um, they were hoping that we would solve that side of things, and yeah. that just wasn't our thing. And it took us a little while to realize that. And so Squatter Potty came to us. They had a nailed down product. They'd yeah. already done, um, I think, millions of sales based on the Shark Tank success. Yeah. And so then when we finally went after that, um, and that was like, that was ready to go. It was just time to scale that thing up. Hmm. And so they were running those factories 24-7 just to keep up with the demand when, when the unicorn video blew up. And again, that formula worked much better. Yeah. So, so you accepted the clients that weren't particularly ready for the work yes. in this phase, just yes. for money, right? Yeah. Well, was we it, didn't. I don't think we even knew at the time to identify that they weren't ready. Oh, so you just didn't know that it was. We 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 get excited about just creating, world. Yeah, yeah. just creating <laughs> and, and um, world changing concepts and those kinds of things. Exactly. And so, sometimes they'd come to us and be like, "We love this concept," and at the time. I think we could tell on a gut level there was some like oh, what's what's a little off right here, but yeah, I think yeah. it's gonna work out kind of a thing, you know. Exactly. But we didn't. I don't even think we even knew how to identify. Oh, they just haven't got sales yet that, to demonstrate that yeah. they've nailed this down, and now they just need to really get their voice out there more, you know. 
And so that's, that's one of the first criteria we look for in matching up with clients now is ha have they got a product already that's nailed? And if they do, then um, we're in a much better position. Yeah, 100%. So, so knowing that was that, purple, well, from my research, Purple is a client of yours. Yeah. And in one of the podcasts I listened to, Purple was not really in that phase yet based on what I read. Yeah. It was that you made like the purple brand. Yeah. Was that like an actual graphic design or was that like an actual like we made the brand because we made a video for them? Was that was purple one of your clients in this show? So pur purple, yeah. So after the success of Squatty Potty, we did do purple as well. It was after Squatty Potty it was purple. Well it was we closed it off with Poopery. Off okay. the success of Poopery. And then when we went to do the writing for them, we showed them an early cut of Squatty Potty. So we actually closed Purple before Squatty Potty was launched. Wow. Um, and so we still hadn't got all our learnings in yet, right? <laughs> and then ultimately with Purple, yes, it was in a similar stage where they hadn't launched a product yet. And they hadn't, they hadn't proven out yet everything. But... Prior to Purple, Casper had proven the bed-in-a-box model. Casper was a really big yeah. brand, and they had been shipping those beds all over the United States and maybe even the world. Lisa was also part of that as another mattress co company. There were, there were a handful of others that were um, in that space at that time, so we knew that model was proven out. Yeah. And then um, they had been licensing their technology, Purple, um, the, or the the parent company of it or whatever it was had been licensing their technology for bed making for years already hmm. um, but had never been done quite in this way and so and they had been doing sales face to face inside of mattress stores for a long time and so these guys kind of already knew what they were doing yeah, it, was, it yeah, wasn't yeah. as much of an unknown like putting those building blocks together was a little less unknown than just something completely, completely different of like, oh, we know this in, like, yeah, yeah I, I guess I know this industry. It's, it wasn't guessing, they, they did know the industry. Um, yeah. They hadn't launched the brand yet, but yes, we, 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 we developed the um, initial purple brand. So I, I, designed, I designed the purple logo that's used to this day, um, which found its way into a Disney movie, which is kind <laughs> yeah, of- I heard about it. It was in, yeah. <laughs> it, it's inside of um, Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, right? Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph, Ralph breaks the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up with my work inside of a Disney movie. <laughs> Not in the way I thought, but yes, it is there. Um, um, so then, uh, sorry, sorry, tangent. But then, yeah, Purple, when, when we went live with it, um, the sales weren't boom out of the gate like they were with Squatty Potty or with Poopery. Yeah. Um, we kind of knew that going into that, knowing going into it, we didn't know how much of a ramp it would take up, but it's it's a higher price point item. It's a thousand dollars for a mattress. Yeah, that's true. It's hard. Rather than you know dropping thirty bucks on a squatty potty or whatever it was at the time, or you know fifteen dollars on poopery or something along those lines, and so ultimately, people um, just took longer to make decisions. But once yeah. that once that flywheel started getting going, then they couldn't keep up. Yeah, huh? Yeah, that's interesting. So, so Daniel, just another question I want to ask here from the research I've done. You've had a lot of big hits, viral videos that have worked for your clients. What is one that just feel like you didn't work or, or didn't get to that expectation? What is that video that just didn't work? You think in your mind, or wasn't successful in your mind, or? Yeah, there's one. There's one that we did for a client that is now. Um, that has now gone out of business. Um, it was uh, yours.co. Hmm. And that one was about preserving data for the long haul. They had, they had a really cool technology that allowed you to burn your data onto a disk that basically, most people don't know, but like if you go and write data onto like a flash drive, some sort of a little um, thumb drive mm -hmm. or on um, whatever it is like that that data deteriorates over time and this this right. data would hold on these discs it was like inscribing it in stone it would hold for a thousand huh. years it's like used by wow. the department of defense by the white house by yeah i feel like it would yeah all these all <laughs> these different things 
So the, te the, un the back backbone technology they had behind it was very sound, but it was also in the form of a DVD, which was getting pushed away. Pushed away, yeah. The market wasn't moving toward DVDs. So they were trying to figure out a way to package it up so that they could both give people the benefit of the of what the product did, but then not have it be packaged up in a way that people are like, well, no one uses DVDs anymore, <laughs> you know? And so, um, again, one of these products that wasn't nailed down. Yeah, that's true. And, um, that's yeah, so your, yours.co, we made a video that I, I felt like we were pretty proud of by the time we, we were done with it. It also, it also had a, um, a very unfortunate thing in that we used a character in it that was a Russian hacker. Oh, it's a very funny character <laughs> that was a Russian hacker. And, um, and just like two or three weeks before we launched, or like a week before we launched, all the news hit about Russian hackers from back mm -hmm. in the day. That wasn't a thing before. And but all the news hit, and I don't know if it was associated with Trump at the time or what it was. I don't even think it was associated with Trump at the time. It was just there was all this Russian hacking news that happened. And it ended up like being... It ended up feeling like culturally, it just didn't resonate in the way it, it almost was like a turnoff more yeah. than it was like sucking people in. And so, yeah. um, but ultimately I can't even blame it on that for the campaign. Like ultimately they just didn't have the product yeah. offering and the, and the business model nailed down. And, and, and I can, and we can kind of see that to this day that the, the, the company ultimately yeah. didn't end up making it. Yeah, so. definitely. That's kind of what I, what, I, what it sounds like. But Daniel, in the phase of when it was hard, yeah. you know, when it was hard, you're getting it's clients. still hard. <laughs> still hard. Obviously, business is always hard, based on what I've learned from many people here. Um, but what I want to know is, going from you and, and the the CEO now, how did you turn it into like a team? have now with the building like what, what what was the starting phase of you actually hiring your first person like what was the process of going through scaling the business with people and like a bunch of these infrastructure like points that you have to hit as a business how did that all work were you stressed about it did did Benton is that our first hire so um, Benton's a founder and he came in on the early days of that of like I said poopery yeah um, to help run the campaign. I wouldn't even like consider him the first hire. Like our first hire, I think was Abe. And Abe was an ad buyer for us. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was the first one. And then, and then the second one that we did, I think was um, a videographer. Um, he's our director of photography now here. Um, and that's what we basically hired him for at the time was he could edit and he could, he could film and yeah. he could, um, he could do all sorts of stuff. It's Tyler, mm -hmm. uh, Tyler Stevens, and he was, I think he was hire number two. I think hire number three might have been, <sighs> might have been Shane, who's now a creative director. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then it might have been Caitlin, and she is now a creative director. And anyway, uh, wow. yeah. these, these are a lot of relations, a lot of these relationships were ones that we had built up back in the Orbrush days. We already oh, knew really? we'd like to work with them and stuff. Kind of like and a so network, so it wasn't you're, you're like going on Indeed or like Glassdoor, like trying to just find No, them. it was just people we knew already. These these are these are the type of people we, we like to work with. We know they're really good at what they do. Let's bring oh, them in. Dang. So, Dana, for you and your experience, was, was video making, did it come to you easy? How did you learn how to do that? Was it that? I heard it was vlogging. Was it vlogging for a yeah. year? What got you into Yeah, so this question is kind of going back to what I said couple minutes ago definitely who where how did these videos get produced you know in post-production what did you do this question was definitely there to see if he Daniel was the person that was doing this in the beginning how he learned to do it and if he has any tips or, or, or that whole aspect of the business and so that was kind of the direction and point of this to see how he even learned what he did, what he'd recommend to do. Cause you know, video producing softwares are pretty complicated. So I think based on his answer, you can get some pretty useful. Yeah. I wasn't vlogging myself, but we were creating a quote unquote blog for a brand character for Orbrush, Orbrush, Morgan, the Orbrush tongue, which was a little bit of like, was a brainchild of mine of like <laughs> just this giant human tongue. 
that um, is always talking about like bad breath and, and bacteria, but a lot about just his crazy life. It's just this yeah. kind of interesting guy to follow and stuff. And we did, you know, over a hundred videos over the course of two years. And um, it was just a lot of scrappy gorilla style kind of yeah. filming. And, and that's what I'd say to anybody that's getting their start in this kind of stuff is that you really just need to get started. Like every one of us, everyone, every one of us holds basically a whole production company in our pocket yeah. and that you have a cell phone. So you can True. film, True. you can edit, and you can pop the whole thing out <laughs> now and there's no excuses, right? You can upload that for free on True. YouTube or wherever you want to. So like the, big, the biggest thing is just getting to your first content the fastest, get to your first failures the fastest. All your stuff, I look back at a lot of, most of that stuff that I brush and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm glad we'll be on those days kind of a thing. Like at the time, I thought we were doing amazing so stuff, you know? And there's still things that I look back on and are like, oh, those, that's awesome. But like, we're so far beyond that now, you know? And, and that, that's kind of just the way things go, right? Is that, um, that over time, hopefully you're improving and, and yeah. developing a skill set and honing that. And um, even, even though the look of what you're doing might improve and some other things, like it's always good to go back to certain fundamentals, even when we yeah. have bigger budgets and stuff to work with. Um, there's a lot of stuff we're doing right now with our clients. It's a lot more scrappy, a lot more guerrilla uh, kind of style now. And that's, that's fun to get back to some of those things. So yeah. anyway. So Daniel, one of the last questions that I wanted to ask was, this, this space seems like it's gonna be a necessity and like an actual, like a mandatory requirement for businesses to have some sort of creative branding, creative ads, like something visually that people can connect with because branding to me and what I found out is going to be very important and is already. So online video, is that what you're online saying? Online video, like how and branding and all you that. hear your name and then what is like the first word that comes to your head kind of thing, you know? Like that stuff in the end, I feel like it's gonna be the what makes a business last longer for sure and so in your mind doing this every day what for whatever a person does that's listening whether that be a blog whether that be a ice cream shop whatever yep. it is telling that person what they should do to make that brand last is that video like you've described to us today is that more of listening to the audience and what like they best respond to either podcast blog like a video what would you tell like overall a scalable thing for everybody to just keep in mind like a sentence or, or something that they can do to make sure that their branding whatever it is to make sure that people resonate with them is on point what in your mind do you just say to your that branding I know you're looking for a video answer and whatever again, answer I'm, works <laughs> but I would say again your brand is what your customers say about you when you're not in the room yeah and so ultimately your customers are the biggest biggest extension of your brand asset and so if you can take care of them first and foremost with a great product or service, if you can find a way to solve a real problem for them, um, then if you create happy customers, you're gonna create people that speak very well about you when yeah. you're not in the room. And that is gonna be more lasting than anything else. From there, video is a megaphone. It is, it is, That's what I feel like. it is, it is a scale tool, right? Um, that you can really get your message out there with and there's really no excuse for it when we all have cell phones now exactly like I was mentioning and then like you can post video to I don't know how many platforms but yeah it, it's it's pay attention to where your audience is what um, and then go with video to them on that platform is your yeah. audience um, on TikTok go to TikTok are they on Snapchat Go to Snapchat. Are they on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn? Go, yeah. go, go to where the audience is. But they all have a way to do it through video. True. Yeah, and ultimately, I do think brand comes down to story, and the most powerful form of storytelling 
that seems to be scalable at this point video. is video. And so if you can learn to tell your brand story through video, then you're going to stick more in people's minds. It's, it's just involving, it's involving more senses, right? It's one thing sure. for them to read about you on a page, but it's another for them to see and hear at the same time. And then, I mean, it's just a really powerful way of triggering an emotional connection. When you yeah. get into people's emotions, that's where you, it is. that's where you stick long term. Mm. So Daniel, that's, that's all I had for you. I think we're over our time, but um, if you <laughs> want to just give us any uh, shout outs to you or yourself where we can find you and, and your company and we can go from there. Um, yeah. So for any of your listeners that are interested in our podcast, it's from poop to gold. You can find it wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And it really goes into depth about the stories of entrepreneurs, marketers, creatives, going from a really crappy situation and turning yeah. it into something positive. And I think every one of us has one of those stories. Um, every every yeah. successful business or every successful person. And we've interviewed all sorts of um, people on there like, um, like, Jay Shetty, uh, like Michael Stelzner. Like, Are they mostly um, video people? Um, video a lot. Friends. Well, there's a lot of creatives, but a lot of marketers. Michael Stelzner's um, 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 a really well-known marketer with Social Media Examiner, and yeah. and um, we've got, gosh, um, some authors on there like Todd Herman that wrote the Alter Ego Effect. We've got um, all sorts of um, different. Uh, uh, there's the stay-at-home chef uh, of Rachel Farnsworth. Wow. Anyway, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of people on there, so yeah, it's, it's a good one to check out. Do you host that yourself, or is it? Yeah, it's either myself or Benton or both of us. Yeah, yeah that are interviewing those those people, and then sometimes we put in our tidbits too. <laughs> All right, Daniel. So uh, just want to thank you again for yeah, thanks, Josh. Coming Appreciate out, it. So. Special and present of the fighter. Thanks for tuning into the show. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed this one. Again, I want to remind you to go and follow my Instagram at Josh Chingis. That's where I post the majority of this content. And I also want you to follow that because I'm going to start doing lives with the guests that I'm with. And then you can ask whatever questions you'd like, however many times you'd want, and just tune in firsthand and see it there. Also, if you want to check out the video for these podcast episodes that I do, I have a website now, sincerely.us. And then you just search click on the latest episode you can watch it if you really want to other than that make sure to subscribe rate and review the show if you really enjoy it so i can grow and reach more people and i'll see you guys on the next one